0: This is Community Voices. I'm co-host Randy Eccles. The early development of baseball and what it means to towns like Springfield and Bloomington explains why our communities have taken the shape they have. Even if you're not a current baseball fan, historian and author Dr. Robert Sampson shared at a recent UIS Lunch and Learn what he learned in writing his book, Early Baseball in Illinois, the Epidemic Growth of Baseball Following the Civil War. Here's Illinois State Historical Society Executive Director Bill Furry with the introduction at an event you may have missed. Baseball spread across Illinois paralleled that of the sport's explosive growth in other parts of the country. Preoccupation with competition and civic ambition often fueled disputes and controversies and the game itself often mirrored many other society ills. Today, historian and award-winning author, Dr. Robert Sampson, will present early baseball in Illinois. Bob is the editor of the Journal of the Illinois State Historical Society and the author of John L. Sullivan and His Times, which chronicles the 19th century journalist, diplomat, adventurer, and enthusiast for lost causes. Bob is a retired faculty member of Milliken University, a former reporter, with the Lindsey Schaub Net- Network. He went to Eastern Illinois University. And let's welcome Bob Sampson to the Lunch and Learn program. Springfield, to me, is a classic example of the combination of these three things, capitalism, clout, and baseball. And we shall see how and why and meet some interesting people, including good old Uncle Jesse Starn. The article that was written appeared in the Pike County Democrat, September of 1866. And for way of background, there's a cholera epidemic going through Illinois. This is what the reporter writes. There is no cholera there, but they have a complaint not set down in the books, which is raging fearfully. We suppose it may be called baseball on the brain. It attacks old and young alike, from the hoary-headed veteran to the youngest child. Uncle Jesse has got it, and Starn has got it, hatch slightly. Our old friend Hay is yet free, but having witnessed a game with him, on Thursday, we saw the approaching symptoms of an attack. On the occasion of a match game, most of the business houses are closed and the city seems quite deserted. In business hours on the street, go where you will and you hear the professional terms of the game flying in all directions. Gentlemen, not yet attached, insinuate that the spread of the disease is very much encouraged by those interested in the pecuniary fortunes of street railways. But we consider this a slander. We are satisfied that it is an epidemic needing no adventitious aid to cause its spread in all of our cities. It is the fashion to have it, and that ensures it's raging. Now, we've heard a bunch of names tossed around. All of those names are prominent Springfield people, most all of them connected with politics. Why would baseball have anything to do with street? Railway. Way of background, this is what's happening in Springfield in 1866 is what's happening throughout the state between 1865 and 1870. Over a thousand clubs formed in that time. Most of those teams follow the lines of railroads and rivers. Well, why is that? because if we got in Mr. Peabody's Wayback Machine from the old Rocky and Bullwinkle show and tried to travel across Illinois by road, we would be very discouraged. This is a way to travel, and that's how the game spreads. There's over a, a, a thousand teams formed in those five years, and these are clubs. Like we would have a book club or any group of people that have common interests, they were clubs. They were not professional clubs, they were amateur clubs, which also served a big function in terms of networking. They were as much about networking, I think, sometimes, as they were about playing baseball. But each of these clubs would have the nine best players. They might have the second nine. They would also have sometimes the muffin nine. A muffin was slang for a, a bad player. Today in vintage baseball, I am strictly a muffin. I don't have to worry about getting on the first or second nine. And most of the baseball, most of the baseball play during this period is played within those clubs. They get together and they have these what we might call intramural or interclub games and they play for the sheer joy of it. This new thing that has come out from the East. It only becomes noticed, baseball, most baseball then is played by unorganized groups, just people getting a bat and a ball and going out in the street. And we only know about unorganized baseball, sadly, when it becomes a nuisance. City fathers become involved as we shall see here in in a minute just up the road in Bloomington. The playing spaces, there's nothing like what we would consider to be a park today. If you're going to play baseball, you've got to find somewhere in an urban area or on the edge of town an open space, maybe Major Isles' pasture or the the empty lot across the street from Pasqualinas or maybe even the terminal point of the Capital Horse Railway, but you have an open ground. That open ground is in contention because some, somebody may want, to, uh, may want to develop that. There goes your playing field. Springfield probably has more playing fields in any town in Illinois, and we shall see why. These are modern vintage baseballs, but that they approximate what the baseball would have the same size and, more importantly, what it would have felt like. No protective equipment, no gloves. So you're sticking your paw up to stop a line drive that might be going 40 or 50 miles an hour. The collision of a... Baseball of that uh, solidity and uh, human tissue does not usually result in good things. There's lots of injuries. No equipment for the catchers either. It's just you're out there, it's just you, uh, your bare skin, and the ball. But this time they changed the rule and you have to catch that ball on the fly. In 1865, you have to make an out on a fair ball. You have to catch it on the fly. You can still get a foul ball on one bound, but not a fair ball. The rules are, are a little bit more simple. And certainly, there's fewer of them. They hadn't figured out ways to get around the few they had yet. A primary problem for a lot of teams is acquiring and maintaining (coughs) playing space. So now we come to our good friends, Uncle Jesse DuBois and Alexander Starn, who were mentioned uh, by the intrepid reporter from the Pike County Democrat. The first club in Springfield was known as the Capitals. It was organized in May of 1866 in the state Supreme Court chambers. They weren't out on some clubhouse or some tavern. They were in the state Supreme Court chambers, which tells us they knew people. And then, as now, it is very good in Springfield to know people. So they knew the right people, and we shall see. In this very first meeting, the club selects, quote, five acres of enclosed pasture owned by the Honorable J.K. Du Bois and situated immediately at the terminus of the Capitol Horse Railway. Hmm, maybe that guy from Pittsfield knew what he was talking about. Because the owner of the Capitol Horse Railway is Jesse Du Bois. And the fellow who runs it is Starn. Interestingly enough, both are former state office holders. One a Republican, one a Democrat. Uh, they never let politics stand the way of making money. They are connected. Uh, they also become honorary members of the club. Uh, maybe that has something to do with the fact that they select their playing grounds as the terminal point. And the club itself is not named for the Capitol. It's named for the Capitol Horse Railway. Only the second example in Illinois of all these thousand teams that I found a club taking a commercial name. Uh, the other one is in peoria uh, the fort clark bakery was the second one. all the rest of them have very interesting uh, names but not uh, related to business this is the west edge of springfield i think it was called west springfield then and then for various reasons springfield gobbled it up early in the 20th century this is a pioneering effort this is an effort i think unbeknownst to uncle jesse and starn uh, they were creating a template that's gonna be used later in the 19th century in places like St. Louis, and then eventually in the 20th century in places like the old polo grounds in New York, St. Louis, Sportsman's Park, Forbes Field in Pittsburgh. Railway Park is a combination of sports, economic, and transportation interests prefiguring what professional baseball will discover a few decades later. Railway Park, the grounds, it was an open area on the edge of town at the terminus again of the railway. It contained picnic grounds. In the winter, they created an ice rink, it was a site for political rallies. If you had a hankering to shoot a pigeon, you could go out to Railway Park and they had pigeon shoots. It's sort of hard to imagine, I think it would be a messy avocation, but apparently they liked it. If you own the Capital Horse Railway and you want to ensure ridership, maybe as far as they can possibly go, you build a recreation area at the end of that line. Get on those cars and they're gonna ride out, they're gonna have a reason, go on a picnic, or at this time, to see a ball game, which is a new thing. How big a deal was it? In July of 1866, the Capitals host the Harding Club of Jacksonville. 1,000 to 2,000 spectators show up. Quote, the streets, fields, and fences adjoining the grounds were well filled with those eager to witness the strife. Jacksonville won that game, too. Springfield clubs were more successful uh, being economic profits than being baseball-winning teams. Now, the biggie comes on July Fourth, 1867. That's a big holiday. Towns were basically almost shut down. It was really the... Uh, the biggest holiday of the year, it's probably bigger than Christmas at that time. If you're the owners of the Capital Horse Railway, what can we do to fill up Railway Park? Get up, get, you know, get those bodies and those rail cars coming in and and uh, you know buying concessions and what have you. And so they have a multi-team tournament, including. What was then probably the second or third best team in Illinois from Bloomington, and the St. Louis Unions, a very club that's antecedents go back to the 1850s and was considered pretty good. Those two clubs, the St. Louis Unions and the Bloomington Baseball Club, have sort of a rivalry. And I won't go into that now, it's a long and involved story. There was reason to think that. It was gonna be a pretty good game and it might get a little hot they put additional cars on the line on july 4th and the cars ran at shorter intervals so there were more cars running all the time they were leaving sixth street every 20 minutes for railway park and those that got there would find quote an abundant supply of ice water will be furnished on the grounds and the deep shade about the ball grounds will be found inviting to those who bring their own baskets and music and refreshments will be provided for a cost. By 9 a.m. on July 4th, the park was filled. Quote, it attracted an immense crowd, larger indeed, than could be comfortably transported by the cars of the Capitol Railway. By creating an end-of-the-line attraction, Du Bois and Starn ensured increased ridership on their economic enterprise and also brought more attention Uh, while giving a secure home field to the new ball club. Railway Park becomes a destination. That's sort of like a 20th century. You know, we had destination weddings, you know, we go off somewhere in the middle of nowhere and ride on little boats and get married and spend, you know, $100,000 to do so. Well, this was the 19th century's conception of a destination. Throw a few pennies at the horse railway car driver and off you go on to the edge of Springfield or just past the edge of Springfield. To contrast, some places did not have this experience. Bloomington's only baseball park, a half mile northwest of downtown Bloomington. Essentially what happens, even though they're the third best team in Illinois, their only real peers are the Chicago Excelsiors, which are sort of semi-professional, and a team that will become professional eventually, the Four City Club of Rockford, led by Albert uh, Goodwill Spaulding Jr. These neighbors complain, and in August of 1867, they pass a city ordinance outlawing the playing of baseball within the city limits of Bloomington. They're not alone. This is sort of the worst example. Most places say, well, you can't play it in the streets or on the courthouse lawn. Bloomington says, we don't want you. Why? Because these neighbors, some of them, had clout. Despite the fact that the mayor was a member of the Bloomington baseball, (laughs) didn't matter. We don't want you here. Get out. That was their problem. Now, Springfield is just the opposite. We've talked about Railway Park and we've heard a little bit about two other places, Enos Park. The other person, Isles, is going to, we're going to meet in a minute. Springfield just loves this game. They can't do enough, especially people who are prominent and are, are benevolent to promote the game because you're going to have 15 clubs here, at least 15 organized clubs in that period between those five years. The first really is close to Railway Park. It seemed to me like it might be where the Springfield old Springfield High School football field is. Here's a guy, he's a, I could find no apparent connection. I don't think he has any kids or any brothers or cousins or somebody playing on these organized teams, but he says, okay, here's this empty property of mine. You can use it for baseball. Unusual at that time. Major Isles, a big deal who we know from the park, but his first foray into this was across the street from the homes for the friendless. And when I drove by today, there was a a Springfield clinic, but I believe that the baseball field was located just to the west where that old Walgreens or whatever it is and where the then lawyer, Richard J Durbin, had his law office. Isles donates this and there are several clubs. That would have been right, you know, the very edge of Springfield. He donates that or makes it available. Donates too strong a word, I'm sorry. He, he makes it available for these clubs to play. And then uh, here we go, Pascal Enus Jr. Maybe that's why Susan Enos put this in that darn deed, because they played baseball there. He donates this land, I think, pretty sure what is now Enos Park and there were several teams that played up there, mostly junior clubs. Here's a family and they're allowing baseball right across the street from their own house. That's a remarkable thing. Uh, What happens to it? It becomes an outdoor tavern, Krause's Gardens, and it becomes such a pain to the people living around it that I think that's why Springfield annexes them finally, and they close it down, and it's quickly filled up. So you can't, uh, you can't see any trace of the old park. By the late 19th century by the early 20th century, this is happening. Sportsman Park in St. Louis, the old, old St. Louis brown stockings and Chris A. Sportsman's Park was a multi-use facility. They had horse races. They had an amusement park in the, in the outfield. It was a, a full experience going there. When they build one of the first modern concrete and steel stadiums in Pittsburgh, the late lamented Forbes Field, beautiful thing, look it up on Google, see what it looked like. Where are they located? At the intersection of rail lines. Shy Park in Philadelphia. Why do they pick that location? Because there's two or three streetcars that go through there, plus a major railroad. If you go to St. Louis today, what do you see if you look uh, outside the park and up in the air? What do you see all around you? Interstate highways flying by. So now we don't mess with the railroads and the streetcars, we go to close to interstate roads and stuff. With the exception of Wrigley Field, which is located, I guess, along a... there is a L line or something that goes by it. I would say to our friend from Pittsfield back in 1866, rather than a slander, the pecuniary interests of street railways predicted Springfield's future in many ways. I don't want to shock anybody, but connection in this town between economic interest and politics. It didn't start in the 20th century. These people were thinking ahead, and they were willing to do things. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Now you know. Dr. Robert Samson and how baseball fields from over a century ago shaped Springfield today from the UIS Lunch and Learn series, an event you may have missed here at Community Voices.